Uh, okay. Okay. All right. Welcome to the MSG Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. So, you, you don't need to stress about that, though. So, you're okay. fine. Uh-huh. You'll be fine. I, again, I'm an overthinker. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I'm, I've been confronted a lot lately about leadership styles in general, which is it's something I tracked very closely when I was leading. And it's been a while, so I haven't kept up with it. But it, it's sort of like when you're parenting, again, I've not been a parent, but there's a balance you have to do. And like my tendency is to overpraise. So like when somebody's doing their job, even if they haven't done it perfectly, I like to give them, you know, praise for, and, and yeah. encouragement. That's a good thing, but I've noticed in myself I like to do it too much, and that's a problem. Yeah. Because if you overpraise, then it'll often make somebody complacent in what they're doing, and it, it won't allow them to improve themselves. And the same problem on the other side is similar. If you're overly negative about what somebody's doing it can be a good thing because it allows them to you know see okay i need to improve but it's overly much yeah Hmm. so too positive too negative is bad so you have to walk that razor thin edge and you have to be honest about things like okay you staked this uh, road out in the the street and you did it poorly like i don't like confrontation but it needs to be addressed yeah so that's part of I would suggest just getting a bunch of advice and praying about it, but yeah. I'm sure you know a lot of people anyways. To get advice for that kind of stuff. Maybe. But yeah? Yeah, I'll, I'll need to talk to some people. I'll, and I'll talk to the other crew chiefs. Cause hey, it sounds good. So maybe it's a blessing in disguise. <laughs> maybe, maybe. For that. that. We're talking about uh, like a, uh, what is it, a rate or... Yeah, so there's a, uh, a in, job in my raise. job, there's a possibility that I'm going to get promoted into a, a leadership position where I'm dire- directly responsible for another crew member and a survey. So I'd have to go out, plan everything, set everything up, perform the survey, and then bring the data back every day. Yeah. So it it's not all that different than what you do. Like if you were the crew leader of a, a landscaping crew, you would get your orders in the morning. Yeah, I know. You'd go out and do it. So it's like you understand. I've done the practice for it. So, yeah, I, I know the, the nine to five. I know. Yeah, I know how to run the crew for the most part mm-hmm. if I had to. But, yeah. So you, you kind of know where I'm getting at. But yeah, it's, no, it's a little I get it. But the same. I get it. You should take a shot. Nah, <laughs> not after that <laughs> adrenaline rush, man. That, I'm, my heart's still beating from that. Uh, yeah. But. Well. Yeah, because on the way over, for those that don't know what... You almost died? I, yeah, I very nearly got in an accident because somebody in the far left lane at an intersection decided they wanted to turn right really, really bad while the light was green. So I was going full pell-mell, and they just... <laughs> <laughs> right in front of me. Gotta pay attention, man. Gotta and then attention. they saw me and stopped instead of continuing because if they hadn't stopped, then there would have been no possibility for a wreck. But they stopped right in front of me. Uh, That's why it was so crucial. That's when you speed up because they're right behind you. You gotta speed up so they don't hit you in the, the butt. Well, I, I I didn't care about who was behind me. I I wanted to avoid that person in front of. That's me. fair. Huh? Yeah. That's dude. After my break, that's all I've been thinking about. Like every time I'm watching, like I'm driving straight, I'm like, and these people are at like these turns, and they have like yeah. the yellow light. I was like, are they gonna 
do it i was like i gotta be ready on the trigger yeah, yeah, yeah. just to stop in case that happens that's defensive driving so right there. it's like trust me out man i'm thinking i'm like whoa way overthinking it because it's like when i got that got in that wreck like two months ago that was the last time i got in a wreck last time i got in a wreck was like years ago mm-hmm. i remember so, the one before that yeah that was when i was in college mm-hmm. i got in a wreck on but that wasn't even with another car it's just my car sliding off the road but yeah, yeah. no wrecks are not good it's it's it stressed me out now, man. I don't even want to drive. <laughs> I don't. I literally don't want to drive. I'm happy I have a routine and I'm like other than work or maybe church, I try not to go anywhere. Right. So, it whenever that kind of stuff happens, it's sort of like a wake up call. It's not that you were not awake when you were driving. Is that, so before you get in the red, it's like you're you're um you're underestimating it. Yeah. So you're not paying attention as much, but still enough. And then after you're hyper, hyper yeah, hyper attentive. It's kind of stuff. what happens when you first start driving because it's such oh, a new dude. experience. You're paying attention to everything. You're looking in your mirrors constantly. You're you're watching people that you necessarily shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, and that's why practice is so important. Is because it, it starts to muddle all the other things that you don't need to watch. Yeah. And yeah, you check your mirrors, but not nearly as often. And you're you're not constantly watching the people behind you because, well, they can watch out for themselves. Yeah. But you have to be generally aware, not hyper aware. Yeah. But yeah. you can't just tell your brain stop paying attention. The first to like two months, or maybe like the first six months of once I got my license, I was driving was the worst time of my life. It's terrifying. I hated. I hated. I hated getting in the. I was like, shoot, I gotta go to school. Yeah. <laughs> like I hated it, dude. The first time I, I drove by myself, it was so incredibly surreal. It was. It's so stressful, it's, man. I'm checking every window, everything. I'm, you know, checking your blind yeah. spot, 24. All the time. Left, just, right, left, right. Giving yourself whiplash. <laughs> it's like, shoot. It was so bad. It man. was. It's cool though, because I do remember thinking at the time, like how much of a crutch I had, and whoever was like with me during the the six months or so of your driving yeah. practice. It's like you kind of lean on them a little bit to be watching. For you, because there were times where it's like they would point something out, like "Hey, you need to slow down." Yeah, I'd be like, "Oh, I didn't even see that," and so I I leaned on them and their understanding of the road and their their awareness, because you better believe they were freaked out by our young driving. Yeah, uh, and so when they weren't there, I think that's where the hyper aware comes from, because you were practiced leaning on them. Now it's like, okay, I've got to pay attention. It's on me. Yeah, I think we do that a lot. In other areas as well. Yeah. No, I feel you. Life uh, sucks. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it does. I remember thinking about that Ugh. when I was younger and not even close to driving age, but thinking about like how much automatic trust you put in drivers, especially those people that you've been driving with all your life. So like your own parents, you know their driving style and their, their own proclivity for not getting in wrecks so well that it's like you get in the, the car and you trust them completely. It's like it's not even an issue. Yeah. Um, but that is a very interesting thing to realize. Because when they get in the car with you as a young driver, let's say, and they're terrifying because they haven't had that yeah. the rapport with, with you. Yeah, I get stressed driving. out. Like, there's somebody else who's driving and I'm riding with them. Some, there's some, some people I get very stressed out being in a car because they don't. They don't. <laughs> some people just don't know how to drive. That's like true. they get away with too many things. It's like one of those days you're gonna clip that car or whatever. Eventually you're not gonna be lucky. 
It's it's kind of funny. Uh, recently, I've been noticing. So you know those drivers that uh, they like to go a little bit above the speed limit, and then they very smoothly like weave in between cars, and they're, they're overtaking yeah, yeah. everybody. But they're they're coming within like an inch or two of people's bumpers. Yeah, yeah. It's like I seem to notice everybody that's doing that has a like a, a brand new bought car. Like they've got the paper tags on it still. I'm thinking, did, do you have a new car because you wrecked because of the way you drive? I kind of did that, but like. You gotta really know your car. Yeah, you gotta know how long it is where Dude, you can actually. Yeah, because when I had that Grand Marquis, I knew exactly how long a car, my car was. Like I knew the feel, and I knew how I, I knew how much room I need to to squeeze through an area at all times. So that's a cool skill to have. And I knew that for my last car. This car, I'm still kind of getting used to. Thankfully, it's shorter, so you. This car is smaller, it. so it's like I expect it to be bigger. Yeah, so it's, it's like not. I I don't know. It's like I don't know. It's weird. It takes a while to get a feel for a car. Really it's going to take me forever, but, yeah. It's lit. And then you, dude, you keep calling me two-car Trey. <laughs> what? Okay. Yeah. I don't have two cars. Yeah, but you can still be two-car Trey. No, I can't be. You've had more than two cars in your life. So yeah. So? That doesn't mean anything. It's, it's just, You're it's starting true. to infect other people's minds with it, too. They're like, oh yeah, two car trade. That's pretty catchy. I was like, no, it's not. I don't hey, have two cars. If you want to blame anybody? Blame my sister. She came up with it. Still, but you're encouraging. She hasn't said anything. She hasn't pushed it. She just kind of mentioned it once, and then you, you just keep bringing it back up. To make a name for it's like you the sandwich you conversation. You oh, keep bringing okay. it up that uh, the we killed it. Let okay. it die. If you feel that way about two car trade, I'm bringing it up anymore. I make the motion. <laughs> to get rid of two cars, right? Usually, people have the second emotion, and uh, I am the second cool. emotion. <laughs> <laughs> There's two emotions: a and two car tray. <laughs> exactly. I was like, dude. I was like, my name literally means tr- three. So I was like, you're saying two car three at that point. Hey, it doesn't even make sense. That's a cool gang name, or like a, a mobster name. <laughs> it's know? not a mobster name. Hey, we got two car tray over here. No. Why is it called that? Don't ask. I could always get a second car. Hey, look! <laughs> but <laughs> Maybe it's starting to infect you, too? No, it's That's not going to. That's my man. I'm not going to get a second car because <laughs> you said that. Mm. It's not going to happen. I refuse. Will not See, happen. the real trick would be to get a second car and drive them at the same time. How would I drive two cars at once? You can figure it out. That's the legend of two cars. The legend of two cars. <laughs> Did you ever watch um, Mr. Bean? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. He, Mr. Bean had this car, and it was like a three-wheel car, mm. a blue three, three-wheel car or whatever. And there was one time where he had so much furniture he got from the furniture store that he had to sit on top of the car. Like tied. And he, and he used a little rope for each thing, and he had a little long stick for the, the pedal or whatever. And he put his, uh, his, his furniture chair on the top and just strapped it, and he drove it home. It's like, yeah, it'd be like that. I think, I remember watching a, uh, like a mini documentary on that. They said, like, they actually did that. You could do it. Just be so stressful. <laughs> be so bad. It's like, I'm sh- I think they had somebody down in there, like, controlling the pedals. They just filmed, they probably like, did. all the brick on yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, they actually it, yeah. had him sitting up on there with the rope. Like, I would love to it. try that. That'd I would love, really cool. I would love to get a second car just to, like, do stuff to. Like, well, just to drive until it crashes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Just to drive it. It's so crappy, but oh, yeah, drive yeah. it un- until it crashes and until something bad happens. That'd be interesting. Yeah. 
I think it'd be really cool to get a second car and then completely trick it out. I would. I I would. Dude, oh shoot! I need to show you my car after this. Oh. I put, I got one of those some um, stickers. I put one of. Oh, my, did oh, you see it? Yes, I did. Did you see it? I laughed. I got so two hard. more coming in. <gasps> so um, I got a, a I car sticker that. for the back of my car. I put it on the the windshield in the back, and it's a picture of Jimmy Neutron's dad's head. Uh, Hugh Neutron, and it all it says is it says what's poppin', Jimbo. This is the greatest thing in the world. I was pointing it out to my sister. I said, "Hey, look, it's Trey's car." And then I say, "What's poppin', Jimbo?" In the back, she's like, "What the heck?" Dude, I got two more things coming in. I don't know. I kind of forgot. There's one like Kermit. The, oh yeah, there's a Kermit the Frog. I think with the AK. <laughs> and then I forgot what the other one was. Um, but those will, those should be in not too long from now. Dude, I'm, oh. I'm gonna love saving cards. Dude, I want to do that. I want to get some stuff and put like get those long, not stickers, but like maybe like those flames. Well, not probably not flames, but the things you put on the side of your cars. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like fake flames or whatever. I don't know. I won't do flames, but something like that. I need to get car seat sh- covers or whatever. Yeah. I got the I the steering wheel cover. It's nice. It's like, leather. Get, oh, I thought you were gonna go for like the really pink frilly. Uh, <laughs> no. Pink. Have you seen those? Like, I've seen. I'm not fluffy. gonna do that. Like people grip well, the wheel I, and they go all oh the way my in. Gosh. I used to have those um, those big fluffy dominoes that you would hang oh, on the yeah, little on the little like window. The yeah, I had them on like it was on the Grand Marquise. I had. I'm pretty sure I lost it with the car. Oh, I need to buy they some have of those. Celebration station. We'll I need go to go. Win some I need. To, I need to go. <laughs> Dude, we need to go back to Celebration Station. uh, That was lit last time. That was awesome. That, and we saw... Yeah, we didn't even talk about that. We went playing mini golf a while back. Yeah, with the whole crew. That was... That was lit. That was... I I had really missed that. We need to do that again soon. We'll get Matthew in on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's that other... um, There's that other bigger mini golf place. Well, there's there's a... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There were a few. I just... That was happened to be the closest one, one, and it was cheap. Um, like there was one in Firewell actually. There's an indoors glow in the dark mini golf, but I never been to it, never seen it, so I was like, I don't want to risk it. I-, I thought it might be really small or whatever. I was like, I don't know. I've never been there, so I like, I don't want to plan. So I knew the one at Celebration Station was big enough. Yeah, good. I was like, we'll, ha- we'll spend enough time it's there. Astounding. So, but yeah, we need to do that. We need to do some more stuff like that. Yeah, I'm I know Taylor that. wants to go to Six Flags. Oh, does he really? Okay, we're gonna find some time. Yeah, I think he said in August he wants to go. Dude, that would be solid. Before we get too far away from the car topic. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yesterday, um, my dad really likes Indian food, so he had ordered some Indian food from a place that's decently far away, and he went to go pick it pick up. Pick it up, yeah. So he said, "Okay, David, bye. I'm, I'm leaving." And like two seconds later, he came back in the house and said, "Hey, uh, can you drive me there, or maybe?" I borrow your truck. Did he have flat like, tires? Like, no. Dang. I was like, what's up? He said, yeah, somebody ran off and stole my catalytic converters out of my truck. Uh, have you heard about that? I didn't I didn't hear about that there at all. There has been rampant catalytic converter theft, which, hmm. if you don't know what that is for the people that are listening in, uh, it's a device that they put in line with your exhaust system that essentially scrubs a lot of the, the bad... Bad junk stuff out yeah. of your exhaust so that it doesn't smell as much. It's, it acts like your muffler, essentially. Um, and it's got palladium just, in it. And so people will steal them. And they've been stealing them more and more yeah. because it's got that little bit of palladium, which is worth a lot. At the what, were they there like the day before? Do you know? They were there like 
an hour before. Okay. Because what they do, was it dark out? No, it was in the broad daylight. Because hmm. it doesn't get dark till like eight thirty. Right. Cause but we've yeah. Been, we we don't have enough driveway space to have all the vehicles. In no. The yeah. Yeah. I've we seen got it. three, and it's only a was it the one in the dri- was it in the driveway? No. No. So what I would happened? Ask. We had worked a deal with our neighbor that we would mow the neighbor's yard if, if you park your truck. Park yeah. Park it. The driveway. Except that they just recently got a uh, a renter over there. Uh, to help make ends meet, and so yeah. we can't park over there anymore. So what you just park on the side? So we have a church directly across the street from us that has no cars there. Oh, there in okay. the interim, and he came back from seeing my grandmother, and then I came back from being out and about. Uh, and in the time between me coming home and him leaving, which was only like an hour max, yeah, somebody put it stolen. Dang. It only takes three minutes because they just hop under there with a jigsaw, one of those battery-powered ones, yeah. and they just cut it out. And he had two on his truck, and they cut out both of them. Dang. That like, sucks. you got to be kidding. Because that was something I've been hearing They didn't about do it to yours? No, they didn't do it to mine. That's weird. Oh, man. I'm, I'm I mean, that's across, a, they don't do it. It's true, yeah. Your truck will run without it because it's it has to do with the exhaust. And yeah. With it, but it, it's not good. Not the the way you tell is when you crank it up, it sounds like you have no muffler. It's really, really loud. Yeah. Because you essentially don't. It's That's how you flex on kids. Like Wake kids. up the whole neighborhood. <gasps> I sold my catalytic converter for palladium. <laughs> <laughs> but that would answer a question because I've been hearing a lot of vehicles that have that. I really didn't even loud. hear about that. I never heard about that. Yeah, but. look it up after this because it's. Is it here or just all over? Yeah, it's all over, but it's it's been really bad in our neighborhood. Well, our neighborhood is already, you yeah, know, a pretty bad, bad neighborhood. <laughs> it's like, my, my mom has an app. It's, uh, I think it's... Police scanner? Next door. It's it's one where you, you figure out where your community is, like your little neighborhood, mm. and you get to talk to people that are in your neighborhood. So what they're all talking about. Yeah. And that's been a hot uh, button issue. Like, people are saying, yeah, they just came up in my driveway and cut them out and left. Uh, it's like, that's, that's rampant. And to yeah. have it be in broad daylight... Just completely bold like that. I don't really care. They want they don't it. Care. Mm. So that's a problem. It's their money, and they need it now. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> it is their money now. <laughs> it is. It uh, is. That sucks. Yeah, so so I, I feel sorry for him because he's gonna have to go get it replaced tomorrow. Mm. It's like twelve hundred bucks. Dang. I can see. Sucks. Yeah, if they if they got clogged, because eventually they'll wear out. And you need them to pass your emissions test. And so you have to get them replaced every so often. Yeah. I can see if they wore out, that's a necessary problem. Yeah. But, God, and I, I feel worse because we still haven't sorted out the driveway issue. So if he continues to park over at the church, what's to say two days from now? Well, can't you both again? park right there in front of your house on the street? We can, but see, he used to park in front of the house. But again, it's a bad neighborhood. I live right across from a park. And so... He's been hit by drivers driving too fast, and they hit him when he's parked in front of the house. Oh, my gosh. Uh, he's had his windows shot out before. This never happened in your truck? No. Because it's in the driveway. Bro, your dad's a bad look. Yeah, but see, it's <laughs> like, him, You should put him in, like, well, he uses it every day, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, then I, I don't know. What You have that other car doing, that your mom drives, right? Yeah. So you should maybe put her car on the driveway or on the on the street with yours yeah, but that's the problem and then his an suv and that's the biggest target for the catalytic converter okay so it's like they, they like vehicles that are high off the ground so suvs and large trucks as well, well your car is not even 
That it's, makes sense. It's lower. Your car is lower. Yeah. That kind of makes sense. It could still be done, but I have a feeling it's like they, they'll go for easy pickings. Yeah. Um, Get in and out. So that's why. But I don't want to park on the street, too, because not only has my dad's windows been shot out and crashed into, but yeah. when Nathaniel was around town one time, he parked in that same spot they did it for to him? five minutes and someone shot out his windows. <sighs> Dang. So it's like. You can't it, leave something bad. shiny or expensive yeah, in the open. Can get it. Yeah, if they see it, they're going to try and get in and grab it. That makes sense. Yeah, so it's, it's a bad deal. I, I think what we're contemplating at the moment, we've been discussing it and not doing it for too long. Back probably. garage. Uh, we could do that. We, we're just going to widen the driveway. Okay. Probably need don't, to do do you, you have a garage, don't you? Yeah. Is it filled up with a bunch of stuff? Yeah. yeah. Y'all should really clean that out and then we have put one car in there at least. But the, the problem is this is a 50s home, and so it's like the car's... Back then, we're a little smaller. Yeah, I could. You I could, could probably, probably fit my truck. You could fit one of those in there. Fold yeah. in the windows and like really squeeze it in. Oh, scrape perfect. Off the sides a That's little how bit. I like it. And yeah, that little, that one again. single line on, on both sides both of your sides, truck yeah. from all the scratches. It'll it's be like a, it bows out the bricks on either side. Perfect. Mm, perfect. Perfect. That's fit. how I like it. That's how I like my cars scratched up. And they still get the cattle out. Oh man, that's that sucks. Yeah. Sorry so, to hear that. Yeah, it's, it, it happens. You want some tequila? <laughs> yeah, I drown out those <laughs> sorrows. But that looks fuller than it was in the past. Did someone just fill it up with water? No, actually, I think it's less. I think it was up here. Was it? I yeah. Like it. I mean, it's not mine. I don't drink it. So. Pure old agave. You want my tequila? No, thanks. I've been trying to work away from drinking at the moment. I need I somebody to take my tequila, man. I should have gave it to Nathan when he was here. Nathan would drink it. He would. I mean, it's, it's very little left. I mean... Granted, enough to do the job, but still. Yeah, yeah. But not if you casually drink it. Not, well, people don't casually drink tequila, I don't think. If it's high-end tequila, yeah, but yeah. I don't know many people that prefer I would to I, drink. Grant, let me th- say this. I would never drink tequila casually. I guess that's why I bought tequila. <laughs> it's it's probably very good in mixed drinks. Because yeah. there's, there's something you can do with Well, uh, dude, all that brings up... One like I've been to like TGI Fridays like twice in my life, and a few years back, it was uh, I got invited to go hang out with my brother and and uh, his friend, so we all went and we you know we ate at TGI's. I've never eat there, but there was this they were like giving me suggestions on drinks to get, so I got like a water, and I was like I'll get an alcoholic beverage, and they had this tequila and they put cotton candy in it. I was like oh, that sounds kind of delicious because mm-hmm. I like cotton candy, yeah. sweet and all that. And I got it. It was the worst thing in the world. <laughs> Because all it was is tequila like, to me. Oh, no. Like, right, like right. you put the cotton candy in there after it's in, it just melts away. It's awesome. And it, like, turned it into whatever, blue or pink, whatever it was. But it's like, cool. I could not taste the cotton candy. It was just tequila. It was just tequila. I was like, I hate my life. <laughs> that, I was like, curse. like, I took a little sip. Alcohol. I was like, I hate my life right now. Because <laughs> I was like, that sounds really good, but it's not. <laughs> so, I don't know. There's, there's some supposedly very heavenly... Uh, mixed drinks out there. There will never be for me. It's like I've, I've never encountered them. I'm cursed. <laughs> I, I think we're blessed. Way, that's a good thing. Yeah, I think we're it's a blessed. Blessing. I think Considering. it's a Because <laughs> it's like in order for you to get drunk, you have to go well out of your way because you don't necessarily. It's enjoy so life. bad because I got a tolerance for it. Yeah. I had to get heavier and heavier alcohols. I started getting drunk off of beers. Yeah. You know, like six packs, and I started drinking working. like two six packs. You can get pretty far down the road, and then I realized beer is does nothing to me anymore, or at least the amount I was used to. I had to go further down the road, so I started getting heavier and heavier alcohols. 
how it goes. And then I hit tequila. Boy. And it was just bad. Shots after shots. I will say the, the last time I got drunk was the worst time ever. I will never get drunk again. The amount of pain that I went through. <laughs> to probably, get, like my throat literally alcohol. swelled all the way up. Oh, it was so bad. Probably had a little bit of alcohol poisoning. Maybe. Which wrecks Ugh. your body. It absolutely mm. wrecks your body. The entire body. day I couldn't eat. I couldn't even drink anything without it hurting. It sucked. So. I'm glad you've come to that resolution. And I said I will never do this again. Because then I was just puking as well. So Yeah. yeah. That's, that's what that was. Your body is telling you, this is a toxin and I'm going to die if I don't get I'm it I'm like out. Noah. <laughs> in the that's vineyard. In the vineyard. Laying there, <laughs> laying there naked, drunk. <laughs> Granted, I never, I never blacked out. So That's a good thing. That, so. That's probably what saved your life. Because if, if you don't get the toxin out, because the reason you're vomiting and stuff is because your body cannot process it quick enough. And if it builds up that toxicity, you die. Or it permanently deforms your organs to the point where you're probably dying. I'm pretty sure I probably scarred up some of my organs in some probably. way from it, the, just the amount. It's very, very hard on your heart and ooh, your brain. Ooh, I have a bad heart. That's going to so, be fun. Yeah, yeah. I have a really bad heart, so. so like, but I hey. remember when I got drunk. I thought you've never been drunk. Oh, I have. I know you've been buzzed. I've been buzzed. I, because looking back at the time, I thought, oh yeah, that was just buzzed. But it's pretty I easy to tell that there's very. I had my eyes, my eyes were crossing, and I wanted to throw up real bad. I guess yeah. It's like that. That was drunk. That's insane though, because like just speaking out of being drunk, like your movement is gone. Yeah. So like if you're, you're if you're drunk sure. but not blackout, but you're you're drunk, you can't walk straight. Oh my gosh! I remember like being—I would, bro. I would be in this in this house, and I would I'd be like, I gotta go pee, and you know the bathroom's over here, and my room's at the other end. So it's I like walk through the living. I have to like, like hold on to the wall. It was terrible, and I would lean against the wall to pee. <laughs> it's yeah. terrible. It's awful. Um, but no, you can definitely tell the difference between being drunk and buzzed. Yeah, there is there is a line there, there and there's, there's a significant margin. But yeah. if you continue drinking after buzz, it's, it's well, really, the buzz really is like the warning, like. Like, hey, you're right on the tipping point. Yeah. So either stop or full send it. So yeah, get a spiral out now. Because yeah. I never found being buzzed too fun. So and personally, that's, that's kind of also the danger of the, the heavy alcohols is that you don't even get buzzed. Yeah, no, you, you go don't. from some from um, what do you call it like sober to just gone. Yeah, because that's why I drink heavy alcohol. Processes alcohol or how it absorbs it. Because with beer. Your body is absorbing it essentially at the rate that you're drinking it. Uh, you can absorb it and then process about a beer or a beer and a half's worth of alcohol, depending on how tolerant you are of it, within an hour. So, like, every hour you process that much, yeah. essentially. That's why you See, I figured that out. the more you drink it. I figured out time. if you went slow, you would never really get drunk. Yeah, you just get buzzed. Like if you did one shot an hour, you probably wouldn't really get drunk. Yeah, because that's the same Maybe margin. buzz, depending on how much or how heavy it was or whatever. But it's like that's what I realized. Yeah, up so, tequila. Yeah. So I would take like eight shots within like ten minutes. Yeah. See, that's the problem. And thirty minutes later, woo! It's, it's dead. Oh, because I would be right where I wanted to be. It sucked. <laughs> but no, yeah, that's yeah because that's, that alcohol is just sitting there, right? And your body is continuing to draw it out, and so that's why a lot of people will die of over drinking, is because they'll take like eight, ten shots in yeah. such a short period of time, and it, it they I don't feel yeah. drunk. 
But two hours later, when that alcohol is mostly processed... Mm, it hits like a brick. It's like, oh my goodness, that was way too much, and it's continuing to absorb. And then by that point, you're dead. Because yeah. your body can't handle it. Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure... I don't think I ever made it to ten shots. I think I made it to nine, and by the time I hit nine, I started throwing up. Because the and danger is, like, if, if you absorb it too quickly, your, like, your major functions that would prevent you from dying, like vomiting up that which it can't process yeah. will become impeded and so you hear sometimes about people who didn't die because of the alcohol they died because they drowned in their own vomit Mm-mm. because the processes for getting yeah. the alcohol out were impeded and so they couldn't even get it out Yeah. so it's like that's the problem <laughs> yeah so it's know. good you come to that resolution and they're not drinking heavily anymore I'm not even drinking um, last time I had alcohol was what when when I went to your Ace Hardware. Oh, okay. That that whatever that was that little slice of death. Um, oh, that's not good. <laughs> I have alcohol. I just need to get rid of it. Yeah. In some way, shape, or form. It can be a temptation. This isn't mine. That was here before. Oh, was it? it was yeah. Around. It's kind of here. So, somebody opened it and it had a little. Yep. But that is what I would drink. To be honest. Yeah. That's exactly what I would drink. Tequila. tequila. Yeah, I've heard a couple people really, really like high-end pure agave tequila, but I, I've never had the good stuff. I mean, I've, I've never had the bad stuff either. So I wouldn't you know. know. I wouldn't know. I know. But I've heard the bad stuff is really, really bad. <laughs> I smell that. It, t- it smells the exact same. Uh, don't drink. <laughs> yeah, it's not because... Definitely don't gosh, get drunk. So um, many people... It's terrible. Especially young people, they look at alcohol and they go... One, our parents told us not to drink. If it, they're, they're responsible. Rebellious, curiosity. Yeah. And they have yeah. a drink somewhere, and they go, that wasn't bad at all. One, I didn't get drunk, and I didn't feel all that impaired by it, and it wasn't bad. And so yeah. they continue that, you know, they, they drink socially, which if you're going to drink, social drinking is the best way to drink. I feel because why because you won't people. get drunk or because you no, have you, you have can a, get drunk yeah. with it. But it, what's far worse is uh, private drinking, as in you're by yourself Oh, drinking. yeah. Um, That's what I mainly did was private drinking. Yeah, that is far, far worse. But it's because I didn't like being drunk in public. Right. So I was only drunk in public once. But it's like you, you want that drunk feeling, but being drunk is not good. But a lot of people start going into private drinking because either they're trying to drown something out yep. or... They don't want to be held accountable for becoming drunk, which is what I've seen. A lot of people they start doing that. Like I enjoy the feeling yeah. of being buzzed, but I don't want to. I don't want other people to be like a buzz kill, essentially, in, in telling me, "Hey, you need to slow down." Yeah. Like I want to be able to do it for myself. Yeah. I don't know. And so that's an issue. Um, yeah. It's like I've, it's I've weird. done that before too. It's like I and. Looking back at it, it's like I realize that that is very, very dangerous, especially if you get in that habit, because yeah, you're trying to keep it more or less hidden from people. Obviously, if they saw you, they wouldn't think, "Oh, yeah." Yeah, I was never scared of like doing anything bad, other than maybe passing out. But right, it's like you didn't feel like, like I knew I knew my personality when I was drunk. I had a pretty good personality. It was like just more extroverted version yeah, of what I am do. now. Like. Mm-hmm. 
there's a lot of people that will drink a little alcohol because it opens them up. It's like I've noticed that myself. I'm not a good speaker. Yeah, I, I don't talk well with people, but if I drink a little bit, it's so much smoother. Well, the thing is, like, I was like a full-on idiot, but it didn't matter because I was drunk. Yeah. So it's like people could ask me. Like, I remember one time I was I was drunk and I was talking to some people. And I was like, I was like, you know, I was talking trash because I was like, I could beat you at math. And they started giving me math questions and I got them completely wrong. <laughs> and I got some of them right. But, and he had this other person who was like a math whiz and they were sober and they were comparing notes. I was like, you can't compare no. I, like, I said it out loud. I was like, I'm drunk. You can't compare this to that. There's a very big difference. There you Incredibly go. different. So, <laughs> yeah. But no. Yeah. No, because the reason why alcohol is so bad, there's a lot of reasons. It's a big health risk. Um, it, it impairs you heavily. But perhaps the biggest issue, especially in a religious context, why alcohol is so bad is because it removes most, if not all, of your inhibitions. Right? So it removes your inhibitions to not drink more. Bro, it so kind of take, it takes more. away your sense. Well, maybe this is just for me, but it, I think for some people it takes away your senses of, like, pain. It, yeah, it, num- it physically numbs you. They used to get people drunk before they performed surgeries, before they really understood anesthesia, because yeah. that was a way of numbing the pain. Yeah. Absolutely. Because de- alcohol is a depressant, which means it slows down the rate at which your neurons fire in your brain. And so the more alcohol you have, the slower the neurons move. That's why pain is muddled. It takes so much longer for the signals to travel up and into your brain, and at yeah. some point they're impeded completely, so you feel no pain at all, yeah. which is dangerous in and of itself. People can hurt themselves mortally and continue to semi-function Dude, no. until they break like, out. Yeah, like we were at the bar one time and I wasn't drinking, but my buddy is a big alcohol alcoholic, but he got really drunk and we were about to leave, anything, and he like tipped over like one of the glass jars or glass cans or whatever dropped it and he kind of fell on the ground with it and he you know he like sliced open his hand yep. and then he grabbed the glass and started kind of picking at it again and then we were like yo bro stop like, <laughs> like holy buddy. crap he was just laughing so yeah because even in that like a a mortal wound or a serious injury becomes a non-issue to you because yeah. you can't feel the pain and you can't even recognize it as a problem yeah really. That's when you're far gone, but still. Yeah. But the other thing is it lessens all inhibitions. So it's not just that. That's that's why in the, the Viking cultures and Nordic cultures of old, uh, they treated mead as an aphrodisiac. Not because it had true aphrodisiac properties, but because when people get drunk, they're far easier to talk into having sex because their inhibitions are gone. And so they used it like that, yeah. and they lauded it as this miracle substance because, like, oh, I can't get laid. But as soon as you get somebody drunk, it's like, all right, it, yeah. everything's game, and that's a problem. Yeah, it's a big issue. So, But the same thing happens for you, too, because, like, let's say you're a Christian and you want to be chaste until marriage, as we're commanded to yeah. do. And you get drunk, and somebody offers you something. Normally, your inhibitions would kick in, and... You know, you'd do a Joseph probably and just get out of there. Yeah. Um, but your movement is inhibited and your inhibitions are gone. And so you can't get away from the situation even if you know it's wrong. And you're more likely to accept and acquiesce. So it's like 
you've shot yourself in the foot. That's yeah. why we're not supposed to imbibe anything that would mess with the way our brains work. It's like, I know there's a case for stimulants, but legal stimulants like nicotine and caffeine. But yeah. you, you get a whole other range of issues on the other side. So yeah. the more intoxicating and the things that mess with you the most, the, the more severe it is, the worse it is for how you act. You're supposed yeah. to be under self-control. And anything that controls you is vile and evil because you, you can't you can't respond correctly to the commands of God because yeah. you cannot act at all. Yeah. Not good to be drunk. No. <laughs> That's our advice. Don't be drunk. Don't get drunk. So I, I think there's a lot of um, Christian parents that try and put all of that information in the command do not drink or don't get drunk but most of them just say don't touch alcohol at all and it's far more complex than that and that's why when kids get out on their own and they get curious and they drink a little bit and then they overdo it eventually well that cycle is born of the fact that they were told don't do it but they weren't explained to why why is it a bad thing yeah well i think it like I don't agree with drinking because I think, you know, you talked about it before where it's like, it's like you're walking the line. Mm-hmm. You're like, you're getting right on the edge without tipping over. Yeah. And it's like that temptation becomes more um, heavy when you're, when you're like buzz say just to go all out and continue the drink where, and it's like, you know, I, I, I want to drink to get drunk, not just drink casually or to get buzzed. But it's like, you know, I, I don't agree with drinking because I think you're just walking the line of temptation at that point. Right. And, and you know, there's there's genuinely out there people who can enjoy an alcoholic drink with friends or even by themselves without being tempted to go further. Yeah. Without, you know, wanting to get even buzzed. They just like a little alcohol for whatever reason. Yeah. A little bit can be healthy. A glass of wine once a week, a couple times a week, has wonderful antioxidant properties. It's good for your heart. It's like a little bit is fine and dandy, and it can be very pleasurable without being sinfully pleasurable. Yeah. But for most people, even if you had that ability at the beginning, it can be abused into the point where you no longer have that, and it's, it's just gone for you. You have a drink, and your own desire that has become built into your body because of abuse in the past will come back and it'll drag you down that path again. Yeah. That's why a lot of drinkers that recover, like people that are in AA, swear to never touch a bottle again. Even if they're, you know, 20, 30, 40 years sober, if they have a drink, they will fall down. They, they will go yeah. back into that line. No, I feel that. So it's Don't walk absolutely. the line, man. Yeah. <laughs> and the, again, another problem with it is... What I'm, I'm just now thinking about it, but sin in general has a propensity to connect up and invigorate or inflame other sins. So you could almost talk about it in a, a sense sort of like intersectionality. You know, they, they've got that concept about oppression and whatnot in the, the social sciences. Yeah. But sin does that. So you'll often see somebody that starts out with a simple substance like alcohol they didn't even start out to get drunk but through time and through abuse and through circumstances yeah. they might get really far down and be a drunkard okay that's that issue 
but it doesn't stop there because usually, okay, once you get to the end of the sin, being a drunkard is probably the very worst you can go in that. That's what we're commanded not to be. We're commanded yeah. not to get drunk. So they're doing that on a regular basis. That's the end of that sin, essentially. But that leads into others. So when even being drunk is not enough for that person, they start experiencing or they start looking for other things to supplement. And that's why you'll start to see people get into drugs and drinking or smoking and drinking to some extent. Yeah. But that doesn't really do it. It's like, okay, I'm going to smoke weed and drink. It's like, okay, okay, that's not doing it. Let me get something heavier. Or like, let me drink and have sex and then also do these heavy drugs. And you'll see that a lot in people who are like the party animals that live for pleasure. Yeah. You'll see they start out simple and by the end of it, when they're just truly wrecking their lives, it, it has to do with those three primarily. And there you go. There's your intersectionality. It, they, they attract each other. Because your inhibitions are lessened because of the alcohol, you're more willing to try something that's a more devastating drug. Yeah. And you're more willing to, to you know, try un, or wanton sex. Yeah. So the, the simple command, don't get drunk on the surface seems very, very restrictive. But when you look at Scripture and the commands that God has given, you have to look at them in light of who God is and why he's commanding us to do things. And if you look into it deep enough, you know, God doesn't need anything. So he's not commanding us not to drink because he needs us not to drink. And even to some extent because he doesn't want us to drink or get drunk but he's commanding us to do these things because out of his love he realizes that those are the things that they lead to other things it's better for us not to drink so out of his love for us he realizes that okay if they get drunk there's all these other things that happen Um, that's a very poor way of phrasing it I'm, I'm struggling to articulate that point but Every command he gives is for our benefit, and only our benefit. Yeah. Which, that leads into a whole other world of, like, what's, what's going on with his commands? When he commands us to worship him, it's not because he desires worship, because if no human existed, he would be worshipped fully by whatever else he created and within the, own God, the Godhead, the Trinity. But he commands us to worship him that command comes out of a, some reality where our worshiping him benefits us fully. It keeps us away from the things we aren't yeah, and supposed to do. There's probably really deep levels I've not come across, I haven't realized, he hasn't revealed to me. But that's a, that's a very strange thing to think. And go through, whenever you read something that God has commanded, either the Israelites, which is... A, you know, a flashback, a kind of a foreshadowing of what the full Christian church is. But any commandment he gives to Israelites or to the people of God, or the church, Old Testament or New, it is fully for our benefit. Yeah. Which is why, it, you know, a lot of people will say the, the law of God is restrictive. It's like, yes, but it's restrictive for our benefit, fully. Yeah. And you can't eliminate anything from God's law and have it benefit us. So it's kind of a weird deal. I had never thought of it in those terms until recently. 
I think C.S. Lewis kind of opened that door, and God's obviously been inflaming that uh, that position on it. But I think everybody has to treat God's commands like that. One, I mean, whether or not they were for our benefit, we need to treat them as just you should want fact. to. Yeah, yeah. But even if you don't want to, you should still pursue them. Which is the a lot of people will say this, and I think it's absolutely true. If you don't desire to fulfill the commandments of God, do them anyway, because uh, the fake it till you make it thing is a real phenomenon. It, that phrase didn't come about on its own. It's like, if you want to love other people more, act in the way you think that love works. You know, So observe the other Christians who are acting out their love and do those things. Yeah. And eventually, and prayerfully, You'll find that you do them not out of that obligation to fulfill the command, but somehow and somewhere along the way, God changed your heart so that you actually desire to do those things and you're actually loving people. And he did it when you weren't even paying attention, but you were, you were doing the best with what you had and you were very prayerfully seeking that God change you in that way. And bingo, that's, that's what he desires you to do anyway. Uh, even the most broken person that has no emotion whatsoever, feels no guilt, that reads the Bible and is somehow confronted with the issue like, I need to stop doing these things that are burning my soul. They're they're destroying my conscience. And I'm as far from God as any person has ever been who realizes that fact and prayerfully pursues getting right with God and asking him for his help and his well, presence and power to make those things happen because we can't do it for ourselves. And then acts in a way that is in accordance with that will be brought into that true acting out of those things. Because when you start, even, you know, yeah, the, the thing that our sermon was about today was about love and love for the other believers. It's a unique type of love, um, which is reserved especially for the believers. There is a type of love that we give to all people but it's a unique love to the other believers you know I'm often confronted with that like do I feel that love for other people and most times if not every time I go I can't feel a tangible love it's just not there and that bothers me but then you look at okay I can't feel the love but what does the love look like acted out and that can be feeding the people that are hungry and pursuing getting to know them and giving them rides when they don't have rides and any number of things that might be small but they're very, very impactful to other people and so I try and do those things and sometimes through the grace of God if I do something little for something, somebody like that he'll give me a little taste of like here, here's a little joy that goes with that action and that, I feel, is a little taste of that love which we're supposed to have for others. I don't feel it every time. Again, that still bothers me. But I know that's the way in which he's worked. He's sitting there in my soul and in my heart repairing the damage I've done through my sin. Yeah. I've, and all the time that he's working, he's making me realize more and more how much I need him and his work. And his power, because it gets to the point where in your own sin, you're absolutely hopeless 
I think people have to be brought to that place where they're absolutely lowest, where they can't help themselves one bit to fully realize to fully realize how good Christ was in his perfect walk in life and how much they need his perfection and his power. That's why you often see converts who seem such not, no one seems to be a perfect representation of Christ in this life, but they seem far more blessed and far more perfect in their living of the Christian faith. But you dig into their past, and they have had, I mean, they've been put through the ringer, and it's often through their own sin. We, we had the testimony of Alex yeah. last Sunday. It takes that, because unless somebody's broken down of their own pride and their own preconceived, I've got this, they can't begin to progress well. Not everybody has to experience that utter just depravity of their own selves to get better. But it takes a lot longer and a lot it takes a lot more scenarios for God to begin to put those things in your heart for you to realize the deadliest sin of all is pride. There's a lot of people that would say it's other things, but I don't think they're reading Scripture right in that regard. I mean, that was the the sin of Satan to begin with, was pride. And this is not a fully fleshed out idea, but it's something I've thought about. Uh, I think in Revelation, um, pride is essentially the antithesis to the Holy Spirit because through an inflamed pride you can do a lot of the things that Christ does in your life and that's that's a very odd statement to make but there's been people that have overcome their alcoholism their their sexual devi- deviancy uh, their lying any number of the deadly sins through an inflammation of their pride because Satan will do that. He will say, well, you're better than that. You don't have to do that. And so by becoming more prideful and thinking more and more of yourself, you know, you feel like you're doing something right and you that also elevates your pride because, oh, look, I stopped drinking. That's a massive deal. But are you getting any better? And so that... That, that, again, that's not a very thought-out idea, but if you look at it, the Holy Spirit working in us does those things for us. It's, a, it's about a power deal. So we don't have the power to remove our sin, but God, through the Spirit, does that for us slowly and when we're prayerful about it and very earnest and, and our desire to get closer to God, He will do that for us. But pride then is Satan's tool for doing that his way and it's a far more um, I guess you could say it's a far more desirable thing for us to want to do it the pride way because we don't have to give up anything about ourselves essentially we're not having to kneel before the cross and and repent of our own sin it just happens to go away as we get more sinful and in the worst sin 
that's why the rich man was, you know, Christ said it's harder for a rich man to go through the, or for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. is because through wealth and power, you get pride. Anything that makes you more secure in this life, more stable, more, you know, not in need of outside help, the more prideful you get. Yeah. It's very rare to come across an extremely wealthy person who doesn't have a tinge of pride in them, who doesn't love the things they have and desire more. Avarice, uh, avariceness, the seeking of money and power and is tightly linked with pride. Well, yeah. I agree with that. But yeah, I, sometimes that pride gets on me too. I agree. Yeah. So, like, you're talking about like, love. I definitely deal with that. I'm still working on that. Um, you know, sometimes I get the idea where it's like, oh, uh, I could take a few days off, kind of do it myself, and then I end up failing. Mm-hmm. And it just puts me back in the, the same position I was. Yeah. And then what that pride, I always let that get in my head. And then I think, oh, I could go a few days without reading or without, you know, paying attention or keeping my eyes on God and doing my own thing I'm fine and I end up falling again again no I agree so and it's very difficult I know it's very easy in my own life because I I think all Christians at some point experience that and it's a continual deal because you can talk to our, our own pastor about these issues and you you can see a glint of recognition in his eyes because I can guarantee he's gone through the same thing you know the, the old uh, proverb from Solomon like a dog re- returns to his vomit um, that is how we are we we you know we, we experience th- this sin is the worst thing I could ever do I never want to do it again and you know at that moment we repent of it and God begins to work in, in fixing it and we think, okay, that's dealt with. It's good. And then a week later, you do it again. And you're going, what happened? What I, I had, you know, I had every reason to never do it again. And yet somehow, it snuck up and got me again. And I say that like it's an outside thing. It's, it's in our own hearts. It's our own desires. But even that process is not to be despaired of. It's something, again, we should prayerfully petition God to work us past because it can be worked past and those sins can truly be dropped out Um, and that can be a struggle too because there's been people that God will help them past let's say drinking like that's their biggest sin and prayerfully and and through the working of the spirit and through the the gathering together of people around them and and encouraging them um, they will be able to quit alcoholism and they will be sober for a really long time yeah but that's a blow to satan and and the working of christ in you that's a big blow but all it takes is 10 20 years down the line when you're in a really tough spot and you're you're low you're, you're down low and you have that little twinge of doubt Maybe something that's happened in the church or, or with your friends who are Christians that gives you that little touch of doubt there, and then the bottle's just right there waiting for you. Yeah, and it's easy, easy to go back, and you spiral down into the same sin that you got saved of. It's like, is that person not a Christian? No, absolutely, they are. 
so the what the Bible is getting at, what I think Christ is getting at in a lot of what he's saying is we, we should pursue being sanctified, but it is a long and arduous process that will take the rest of our lives and we'll probably see a benefit of that process as we get older. Yeah. Yeah. But in the here and the now where you're struggling deeply with sins that you hate until the moment they come back and you you see that, you know, oh, why did I ever leave? God will, will continue building strength in you until eventually you can resist it more and more and more until you can resist it every time. Yeah. It's kind of what Craig was talking about in First John where you've got the, the spiritual uh, maturity essentially. you got little children and children and then adults or elders. It's like it takes fighting. It, it is a fight. It's a war. They talk about spiritual warfare. That's perfect language. I mean... When you fight sin, you are grappling. Um, C.S. Lewis in, what was it? Was it Mere Christianity? Um, He talked about that. He said, okay, I want you to play a little game or I want you to do an experiment. For two weeks, try and be absolutely perfect by your own power. Because most people have never fought temptation Alone. And it's yeah, alone and, and, and in its full strength. Because most people will cave into temptation before it gets fully to its peak. Yeah. It does have a peak. And if it is fought, and the more you fight, right? And if you're really fighting, you're not just making a mock fight of it to, to look good. If you're really grappling with it and you fail, that's terrible. But through God's power, you p- repent of it and you realign yourself with Christ. And you turn your back on the sin. He gives you more strength. So the next time, you can fight it a little bit more. And, you, you know, builds the strength and builds the strength of training. Yeah. And the more you fight, the better you get at fighting until you can best it. Now, the part that's so demoralizing to me, it shouldn't be. It, it should be, you know, you're doing your victory dance when you finally overcome something like that. Often what will happen is when you completely overcome something that's been a real trouble to you, a real your cardinal sin then another cardinal sin will come in its place something you have to fight and fight hard and you're going to lose that a lot and something that you don't even realize the full intensity and strength of the, the full evilness of it until God has sanctified you further I know when I was a little kid my cardinal sin was kleptomania man I would steal anything I wanted hey. until eventually you know God worked in my heart and through the working of the conscience and the spirit in me, it's like, yeah, you don't need to be doing that. Well, that's the thing. Like, even like in it's Galatians five seventeen. Uh, I, start, I tried to memorize it, but I can't. But it's it it very much details what you're talking about. Is that the spirit and the flesh are always in conflict with each other? The yes. flesh desires what is of the flesh, and the spirit desires what is of the spirit. So they're always in conflict. You can't have both. So you want a desire for the spirit, but the flesh is very temptation, yeah. uh, very hard to, to fight. And you definitely can't do it alone. 
And that's why I love, like, James, especially there's parts of James, it doesn't all talk about it, but James chapter 1, it talks about trials and temptations. And it was like half of the chapter speaks on it. And it talks about, like, be joyful when you're, uh, when you run into these trials and temptations, be joyful that you're being tested. Yeah. I think, like, I really love that. So, but that's what I remember. It's like, usually if you want to do it, unless you're, like, like a really holy person, you know, like, and you really want to read your Bible 24-7, but usually if you want to do it, it's of the flesh. Like, if you have a strong desire to do it. Yeah. And you have to look at it, just like with uh, messages and false prophets, to test the spirits. Mm-hmm. You have to test, even, you can hear spirits and all that to know if it's from God or not. You have to test it. It's the same thing with uh, all your desires of the world. Test it and whether or not if if it's from God or if it seeks anything that isn't God. Right. And that's that's absolutely correct because, you know, even Paul echoes that. Um, he's trying to get the churches to realize that all foods are clean because it, it was all produced by God and it was all given for our consumption. And there were still a lot of people holding to the... Um, the mosaic law on dietary restrictions you can't have pork you, you can't yeah. have these other things because they were unclean um and he's telling them like no look for yourself and search the scriptures and you will find god gave you all these things to receive joyfully and with thanksgiving um but i think that's an interesting point you make um about the spirit and the flesh constantly being in conflict yeah which it's how it should be. It goes into more detail, too. Yeah, like five, Christ echoes yeah. that when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, yeah. when his disciples, which he's gathered around himself, you know, he said, okay, stay up. Oh, stay awake until I return. And they can't even stay awake an hour. And he tells them, you know, you're... The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's essentially an echo of that idea. Yeah. And I think for most Christians... If you were to just ask them point blank, do you want to be more like Christ? Like, absolutely. It's like if, if there was something you could do to be more like Christ, would you do it? Absolutely. Show, show me what it is. Right? So that desire is there. You, you want to go in that good direction. But you've got the flesh. It's and, hard to dedicate to it when you, yeah, when you have the, yeah. the temptations of the flesh. Thing working your thing, ear, that little, that little voice, voice in the back head. of your head, man. So you you could have that pleasure now, you you could fulfill that now. It's easy. It's easy, and it's it's easier now than it's ever been in the history of the world to try and satiate any number of pleasures, whether that's hard drugs, alcohol, or sex. Yeah, any of it. Um, or yeah, anything. I mean, shoot, even look at gathering wealth. In the past, you pretty much had to be born into wealth in order to accrue more of it. Very rarely did you have people that would pass between lines in the caste system. Uh, if you were born poor, you were poor. If you were born rich, you were rich. But, shoot, even in a place like America, you can transcend those yeah. boundary lines if you work hard. And so that becomes sin in, a, in and of itself, is to focus fully on work and getting things and trying to satisfy the void in your soul by things and things alone or by filling up every second of your time with work. Um, So uniquely in the modern world and even in America, we are in a place and a time where it's all too easy to sin. It's all too hard 
to try living for God. Yeah. I, I have a, a feeling that that's all we can do yeah. as humans is try. We, we don't have the impetus nor the power to even get close. But by God's grace, and again, that's why I have to say you know, prayerfully and through petitioning God for these things and really trying, God will see that and go, yeah, here. Yeah, and we're definitely at a point in life, especially where we live or like the time we live, like everything's against us now. Yeah. Probably more than ever because you have, you know, yeah, everybody's options. talking about here's a get rich quick plan or here's what you can do to get rich whether it's whatever it is or it's like they say most drugs are okay now they're saying you know sex or saying pedophilia you know yeah yeah. like everything's against mm -hmm. you now more than ever and it's just being thrown in your face through uh social media or the internet or whatever it is so it's very difficult because i do believe even in people who have burned their conscience there is a a sense somewhere that what you're doing is wrong and that's modeled by the fact that if they're confronted by it, they get very, very defensive and angry because they realize they've been found out and they know what they've been doing is wrong, even if it's not a conscious realization. But their own psyche recognizes this is not right. And for there to even be a right and wrong, there must be a cosmic sense of good and evil. There must be a, a thread of morality that is consistent to which all beings intelligent beings are aligned some way which is why God's moral law is essential and is essentially self-explanatory for anybody that studies the psyche and that's where a lot of these philosophers would get hints of in their study of people is they would see there has to be some type of transcendent moral law in order for us to understand good and evil. Because otherwise, what constitutes is wrong? What constitutes is right? You ask somebody, why is murder wrong? Right? It, they realize it's wrong without... Because it's like, okay, if, if I kill somebody and it helps me, why is that wrong? The evolutionary model would say, it's like, it's... You would only feel a tinge of guilt over that because of some sort of communal sense of trying to preserve bloodlines or the preserve your species right but that falls flat because let's say that that entity was that person let's say if you were in a tribe somewhere uh, early in the, the evolutionary landscape and the leader of that tribe went mentally crazy and they jeopardized the survival of that tribe and you killed them you could still recognize that as a moral wrong even though the action prevented the wiping out of your tribe and it's like that doesn't make any sense and read any of the great philosophers and you will find there is no possible way that a moral law can be distilled given the theory of evolution. It's not possible. It's antithetical to the very core of evolutionary theory. Just because there's there's no worth in people under that system. By definition, and this is a gross understatement of what's going on in the evolutionary theory, but di by definition, you were the, 
end result of a mindless evolutionary process that started on a fluke. It was not started by any purpose. It just happened. Yeah. And through billions and billions of years, you have ended up at this state. And the meaning of life as given by evolution is to consume and enjoy because you're going to die someday and you might as well make the most pleasure out of it. But because of that definition, you can see even from that, no moral law could come out of that because if that's the the end result, the true meaning of our own life, intelligent or otherwise, is to consume and enjoy because of the meaninglessness and shortness of life, then why would it be good and objectively good to help someone if it could be better for you that you don't? Yeah. It's a very deep concept that a lot of atheists refuse to entertain. And some do on the basis of trying to figure it out like a problem. Because they, they would say, somehow in the past this must have been essential and it just got coded into our DNA and therefore we have this sense of moral right and wrong. But they're not being very genuine if they accept that because they're not confronting the larger issue. Um, it's, it's a real problem for them. Not to mention the very <laughs> Darwin's doubt, which I won't get into, but the, if yeah. you have the chance... Do a little research on that because that's the quickest way to, to shut down any truly atheistic evolutionist thinker. Yeah. No. Makes sense. I don't run into too many. Well, I, don't, I haven't talked to too many right. atheists, should I say. But It's, yeah. I, I might touch on it briefly. It's all the Darwin's doubt is. It's something that he thought about, Darwin did, in his book, uh, The Origin of Species. Uh but it was something that not at the back of his mind. Essentially, if we were evolved from a random, unguided process that had absolutely no help from outside, then we can't even trust the own rationality and well, the trustworthiness of our own minds, our own consciousness. Because one, we, we don't know what consciousness is at all. There's no understanding of that. Yeah. But you, you can't trust it if it, it's completely random, unguided. There's no reason to believe that any inference we've discovered from looking at our surroundings, our history, nature, is correct. Therefore, it completely disables the theory as working. Because you, you take out the very platform on which you base the entire thing. And this is getting into like a metaphysical attack on atheism. It's a valid one. But in order to propose that evolution is even a reality, you have to understand that it can be understood. It can be rationalized by a conscious mind. And so if you take out the basis for a conscious mind, the theory has nothing to stand on. No matter if you had every missing link between the evolutionary, you know, yeah. model, whatnot, the map that they've produced, it wouldn't matter because you can't trust your own mind to be able to rationally infer that. Yeah. Which is, it's like a dropping a bomb on them. That's why I think, like, the whole Big Bang and all that is, like, the most illogical of beliefs. Right. To me, personally, but. It's logical in the sense that that's the best they can it's come easy up with, to, with what they can observe. It's easy to just grab and go yeah. but yeah 
There's so many plot holes, so many. But try and get an atheist unanswered questions. To tell you what. So where did the stuff that started the Big Bang come that's, from? That's the first thing I would ever go to with an atheist. Is where did the two atoms come from? Because you said there was nothing. Where did the no. two atoms come from? And, and then no. you would say, like, <laughs> make me a cake. And be like, but you got to do it with what's here. Yeah. Without all the ingredients, how are you going to do it? The stuff in the air. You in can't fact, do it with nothing. The stuff in the air is more than was present at the Big Bang. So there where did go. it come from? See? Yeah. So. And in fact, it's, it's funny that they even... Like that the Big Bang is even a theory because even physics and mathematics and the constants that we can see in the universe were supposedly generated in a Big Bang that was in the middle of nothing, truly nothing. Like no rule or law or observable fact or system was present at the Big Bang and that explosion was violent and powerful enough to create physics itself. It's like, there's no way. It's it's weird. People are crazy like that, but see, because atheists are not dumb, They're very much not dumb. There's some extremely extremely intelligent people. I think they just don't look at certain like they put some things under the cover. Yeah, they don't want to go into certain things. They a lot of it starts with assumptions. That's probably the biggest problem to anybody when it comes to learning is you assume something must be right. Therefore, everything else must be wrong it's why it's dangerous the schools of thought that are going through our colleges and areas of higher learning is so dangerous because they're pushing single sides you know whether it's a political agenda or a religious agenda uh, they don't instill students with the desire to really understand issues they just teach them one side of something and how, why is that a problem well it doesn't get you to openly question what you know. Openness as a trait is usually directly correlated with the ability to learn and learn well. Because in order to have a discussion with somebody that you dis- disagree with, you have to be open to the possibility that you're wrong. And if you're wrong, that's a bad thing. But you have to confront the ability that you can be wrong in order to pursue truth and and fact yeah which is why you know and that also bleeds back into pride because arrogance and pride that's the same thing it's like i know this is a fact even though you might be wrong so humility in that sense is stepping back and really weighing a person's argument So many people that will shut down your arguments before they even have a chance to listen to them, either because they're terrified that you might be right, or, which is the inference of this, they're terrified that they might be wrong. So they'd rather not hear the argument at all. They'll shout you down. They'll they'll make sure you're deplatformed so they don't have to hear it. But they're afraid of being wrong and thus damaging their ego, hurting their pride, lessening it. That, that's a very big problem confronting us here. Yeah, I yeah. It's just how the world works now. So it but does. We need to call it quits we'll here. Probably do. We've been talking too much. So, um, we haven't mentioned this. I thought we should mention this at the end. The uh, the whole Assassin's game ended. Oh, did we never mention that? We never mentioned it. It's been like three weeks since it. Actually, it's yeah, been like a, it's over. It's been yeah. Over the game for a ended. Bit. Um. Yeah, into the beginning of July. 
Yeah, just they only had. Until I meant later. to mention it last episode and I forgot. So, but yeah, um, who won? Kathy, Kate, Kaylee, uh, Kate, Kayla Kerr. Kayla Kerr. Yeah. She, uh, she we've never met. Yeah. Man, that was. Did Nathan ever get a kill? Do you know? I think he did. We need I to ask him. We yeah, need to well, ask him. Because that would suck. Man, and I offered <laughs> to give him my little pistol from my truck that day. Oh. And Were you he, there when it happened? No. no okay. No. But I had offered that because he said, man, I, I'm going to go to this thing he was, and I'm unarmed. I was like, no, no. He man, had it coming. Yeah, he did. He had it coming. He had no defense. Not going somewhere with a gun. in the back. Ugh. Yep. Well, Kay- Kayla Carr. Kerr. Yeah, Kayla Kerr. Uh, We've never mentioned her before, but yeah, she won. So, I thought for sure it was going to be Tara. Tara, Tara, to be honest, Tara deserved it. She did. She She had what eleven kills? Me. I think she had like eleven or twelve kills. She was just. She killed half the lobby, man. Like her uh, KD (laughs) ratio was off. Bro, she's got a two point oh KD, man. Call of Duty. Uh, Yeah, but yeah, no, that was good. So. Hopefully we do that again. Yeah, um, I hope so too. I, I, they need to tweak the rules a little bit because it was a. a I think if if it does happen again, I'll, I'll I'd rather be a rule maker. Yeah. Than play. Yeah, yeah. I'll help. Dude, but I think that'd be really cool though, being like the the information master because Alex Bean did that. It's like he wasn't playing, but he he wanted to play, but he couldn't play because he was of school. setting up encounters. Oh yeah, that's people. why I got Shawn Michael is because of Alex. Yep. Yep. yep so yep, yep. and then Shawn Michael gave me Kira, Kieran, Kira. Let's go. Let's so, <laughs> but yeah, no, it worked out. But yeah, and we need to do that again. As a group. I'm down. So, um, thanks for listening. Yeah, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, any last words for us, David? Bwing, as always. Bwing. <laughs> um, I hope you return next time when we talk about increasingly deep and soul-troubling topics. Yes, that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right, uh, catch you all next time. Peace. See ya.